This is an ABC podcast. A warning for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners. This episode features the songs and voices of people who have passed away. Shelley Morris was in primary school in the 1970s, sitting in her classroom in the Sutherland Shire of Sydney when her teacher pressed play on the VCR. Theirs was a timeless land, unmarked or divided by the wheels of science. We watched a documentary on the Aboriginal people from the desert, who now I know as the Anongo, and they were burying themselves in the sand, they were catching parenti, big goannas, and I just thought they were just the most amazing people. These were the people of the dreaming time, of a world now dying, a world of ages past. I asked in the class, uh, where are the Aborigines now? And the teacher said, oh, there's none left. Of course, as a child, you believe that. And so I went home and told my mum <laughs> that I'd seen this documentary on Aboriginal people. I said, but don't worry, mum, there's none left. And she said, she took me in front of the mirror. She said, oh, one there. I said, one what? She said, Aborigine. Aborigine, we said in those days, but one Aboriginal person there. So um, I didn't really understand what that meant, but uh, I knew it was very significant in my life. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. Welcome to Days Like These. By any measure, Shelley Morris has made it. She's a renowned artist. She's played with big names in Australia and overseas. She's been recognised with awards. But that's not the story we're going to hear from her today, is it, Belle? And I should introduce our reporter, Belinda Lopez, who's been speaking to Shelley. Hey, Elizabeth. Yeah, Shelley's story is so much bigger than the music. And that really struck me even as we were getting ready to talk in the studio. Thank you so much for coming in. So, Tim, are we sounding And you know, just to warm up, you start with the standard questions. Yeah, absolutely. Like, who are you? Where are you from? Um, Tell me your name. Exactly. Do you want to just introduce yourself? Because I always forget to do this. Yeah, give me a quick introduction. Yeah, hi. I'm Shelley Morris. I'm a singer-songwriter from the Northern Territory. I'm a Yanua and Waterman woman. And as sure as she sounds now... For a really long time, Shelley didn't have a clear answer to those questions. And how she found out who she was and where she was from is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. Wow, so where does this story start? It starts in Sydney, when a white couple were looking for a baby to adopt, and there was a three-month-old Shelley looking straight at them. Uh, There was quite a few babies to be adopted that day, and they were all non-Indigenous except for me. And Mum said my little head looked up and gave her the biggest smile she's ever seen. And Mum and Dad decided that I wanted to go home with them that day. And I did. (laughs) My Mum and Dad were the most, and still are, the most kind and generous people. There was no real day when any of us found out we were adopted, because there's three adopted children. I'm the only Indigenous child, but... It was always just part of the conversation that we had. And we knew that my mother was non-Indigenous and my father was Indigenous and they were from the Northern Territory, Darwin. While Shelley was raised in the Sutherland Shire of Sydney, where absolutely no one looked like her and not everyone was like the family she grew up with. Because I'd lived in this home 
with my family, who are obviously non-Indigenous, they love me very much. And then I walked out the door. I'd go home and I'd be crying and I'd be trying to scrub the colour off my skin because the other children had said I was dirty. And we kind of got through that, but high school, it really hit home. I was quite bright and I was supposed to be in the smartest classes of high school. And they saw that I was Aboriginal and said, well, this isn't possible. And the teachers, you know, saying that I would never even get a job in a garbage dump. I think then all the taunting and the, the cruel names of Bong and Abbo, I started to get really angry because I couldn't understand why this was happening. I think at that stage of my life, uh, after I left school, I kind of, in a way, I suppose, gave up. I gave up working. Then uh, met, you know, my boyfriend who was Aboriginal at the time. And I think Aboriginal people at that time in my life, I think they kind of felt a bit sorry for me in a way, and I say that respectfully, is that I just had no identity to us, to our culture, to to that very big story that we have here in this nation. And back home in the Sutherland Shire, after everything that had happened, Shelley stopped seeing herself in the identity and culture she'd grown up with. And then really ran away from my parents. I was so disillusioned that I kind of put mum and dad in the same category as these not-so-nice people I'd met in the Shire. And they were never nasty or cruel. It just I didn't know what to do with it all. So I thought, well, I'll remove them and I'll run away from home. Shelley stopped talking to her parents. She moved to the Hunter Valley, about two hours north of Sydney. She was rootless and restless and looking for something to do. And I started singing in a gospel choir. It was the sound. It was, I suppose, growing up hearing African-American gospel singing, it was like, wow. Like, one, they can sing, the sound of them all together, the rhythm, and many voices together just sound absolutely amazing. So I, I kind of fell in love with that sound and that feeling. And one of the ladies had said to me that, oh, you have a beautiful voice, singing voice, and that she would offer me free singing lessons. It turned out Shelley's new teacher had sung in opera companies around Australia, and that was the style she was offering up. Opera hadn't really been on Shelley's radar, but the lessons were free, so why not? My opera singing teacher, she was quite eccentric and she used to pop up from behind the piano and say, excuse me, Michelle, because that's my my name, but everyone calls me Shelley. And she'd say, and what nationality are you again? And I would say, Aboriginal. And she'd go, that's fantastic. And it was nearly every week she'd just... I don't know whether she was just lost the plot. She had no idea every week where I was from. And so she wanted me to go on and, you know, do all the big operas and things like that. I mean, obviously it gave me a very big 
loud voice, but it wasn't my style because I, I, I didn't like it. That's why I didn't go on further because it it kind of didn't make me feel amazing in that way. And then one day, Shelley was on the road tuning in to the local music station. I was driving my car and this song came on the radio and I nearly stopped the car. I just went, wow, what is this song? It's so amazing. And I remember just the, the lyric going, treaty, yeah, treaty, yeah. It was 1991 and Yothu Yindi's treaty was climbing the charts. The lead singer, Dr M Yunapingu, was singing about a treaty Prime Minister Bob Hawke had promised when he'd visited the Northern Territory three years before. He said there shall be some treaty between black and white Australia. My lyrics at that time was that uh, I've heard it on the radio and I saw it on on the television, but where is it, you know? Where's the treaty? And in my naivety, I didn't understand what treaty meant, but I heard language, Aboriginal language, for the very first time. Obviously, I know now it's Yolongomata and Dr. M. Yunapingo is singing in Gumach, the dialect. But I just felt like I knew it. No understanding, but I felt close to this language. I felt moved. I felt like it was home to me, which I hadn't really felt other than with mum and dad before. And... I literally drove to the music store and bought Treaty, the single, and then went to work. At the time, Shelley had a job with a car rental company just near the airport. It was a couple of years after she'd left home, and things were better. Shelley was getting noticed in the gospel choir, she'd reconnected with her parents, and she was good at her job. She remembers it was sunset one afternoon at work, and she was in the large car park where all the rental cars were stored, waiting for the last booking of the day to turn up. And finally, a man arrived, straight from his flight. And he'd walked up and he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? And I went, um, working. He said, but, but I just saw you in Kakadu. How did you beat me? And I went, what? What are you saying? He said... I just saw you in Kakadu National Park and how did you beat me here? And he noticed from my face, I said, I I don't even know where Kakadu is. He said, oh, it's in the Northern Territory. He said, oh, my, are you a twin? I said, no, I'm not a twin, I'm adopted. And then he said, oh, my God, you have a sister. She looks exactly like you. She's got to be your sister. She walks like you. She talks like you. Shelley didn't have an answer for him. Her parents had always told her her birth family was from Darwin. She knew nothing about Kakadu. But the conversation stayed with her. It was just another seed sown and a very curious moment in my life. But then I got flown to Darwin as a gospel singer. And then that's when it all started to sort of get quite real for me then. By that time I was starting to sing solo in the gospel choir and a church had heard of me being an Aboriginal 
singer. And obviously I rang mum and dad and I said, oh, I've been invited to sing in Darwin. And mum said, oh, that's where your family's from, <laughs> your birth family, you know. So they were all a bit excited about it, but I was incredibly nervous. You know, for the first time in my life, there's biggest mob Aboriginal people there in the church and biggest mob Aboriginal people everywhere. I get up to sing <laughs> with this massive opera voice and I could just imagine the looks on their faces, like their jaws must have dropped and said, what kind of Aboriginal is this one? Because it's a style that's not really heard. Obviously at that stage I didn't understand that it wasn't a foreign concept, uh, but it was. On that first trip to Darwin, Shelley didn't try to find her family. All she had was a card with her birth mother's name. Her mum had accidentally been given it when she was adopted and she'd held on to it for Shelley. But when I went to Darwin, I looked it up in the phone book and there was a few names there, but I just wasn't brave enough. I think as an adopted child, you feel such great fear, fear of rejection, abandonment, and it's just terrifying. And why would you do it? Why would you bother? You know, I had a beautiful family I grew up with. And, yeah, why would I put myself through any more pain? But when I went back to the Hunter Valley after that first trip, I just couldn't stop crying. And I rang Mum and I said, Mum, I just... I don't know, I've got this sort of gaping hole. And Mum said, oh, look, you're probably homesick. And I went, like, as if. Because I didn't feel like, you know, homesick meant to me like you grew up there. But, of course, I know homesick's much more than that now. And this feeling of being homesick, it just didn't go away. It lingered. And after two years of feeling that gaping hole, Shelley decided... She just had to move to Darwin. And so when I went back to the Northern Territory, actually my dad, my adopted dad, found the number for an organisation called Link Up. And Link Up helps Aboriginal people from the stolen generation or adopted or fostered find and help them trace their journey back home. This time, Shelley just called without overthinking it. A woman called Rosie Baird answered the phone. And she said, oh, do you have any information on your family? And I said, oh, I have my real mother's last name. And I said it. And she dropped the phone. And I thought, oh. And then she picked the phone back up. And she said, your family's been looking for you since the day you were born. So when my father found out that I was conceived, his girlfriend at the time, who was non-Indigenous, was sent away to Sydney to have me. Him being a father for the first time was very important to him. And obviously they'd never spoken ever again after my birth mother gave me up for adoption but he knew I was in Sydney. And as an Aboriginal man, family is everything. So he decided to get himself to Sydney, so he hitchhiked to Sydney. 
uh, and went walking around the city of Sydney looking for me and hoping that he would see me and find me and meet me. And so one afternoon, just a couple of months after she'd moved to Darwin, Shelley was finally introduced to the first members of her family. Her grandmother and her auntie came round for tea and they brought her flowers. Uh, We'd sat down and started talking and obviously they were looking at me, uh, realising that I'm one of them because of my facial features and I'd asked... um, I'd like to meet my father because that was my sort of dream in my life was to meet him. And then it was my grandmother said, oh, look, I'm sorry we have to tell you that unfortunately your father passed away last year but you need to know that he looked for you and wanted to meet you all his life and you were always a part of him. There was someone else for Shelley to meet, her family said. A sister, Mandy, who lived and worked in Kakadu National Park. Shelley's mum and dad had flown up to be there for her, and they all drove to Kakadu and went to the cultural centre where Mandy worked. They had a picture of her up on the wall. And as I was looking up, I said, Mum, there she is, that's what she looks like. And a tourist had walked past and said, Oh, what a lovely photo of you. And then the real Mandy appeared with her mum. Our mothers, Mandy's mother, my mother, because we have the same birth father, which we get our looks from, obviously we're going, wow, look at these two. They're like, look exactly the same. They walk the same. They laugh the same. I didn't know that conversation was going on. Shelley said at the same time, she and Mandy were polite and kind to each other, They were being nice, while that deep history of what had passed and what they'd missed rumbled beneath them. And then, of course, the journey begins, which is a very big journey, of actually staying, getting to know someone that looks like you, but you've had no idea. It was like a bittersweet thing because because Dad wanted to meet me so much... And then I turn up and he's not there. It took a while for Mandy to sort of work through that in her own emotions during her grieving process of obviously losing Dad and then uh, I rock up out of nowhere and go, hi. She often said he died of a broken heart looking for his big daughter. So Shelley committed to getting to know her sister, She was working in Darwin and was taking her music a little more seriously too. She'd started studying on the side and playing a few small gigs. And as often as she could, she'd make the drive out to Kakadu to see Mandy. And after a couple of years, something had shifted. She and I decided we'd write a song about, I suppose from her perspective of how she felt and had language in the song and her story about... Finding me. And I know wasn't your fault. There's one line that says, and I know it wasn't your fault. And I know it wasn't your fault that you grew up far away. But now that you're here, everything's okay. 
And the language was very, very difficult for me. Gunjait me, her mother's language. And I think at that stage I was singing it very wrong and very badly. And my sister asked if I would be able to sing it to her grandmother, who she grew up with, Kakak. She didn't speak any English. Obviously, talking to Mandy in language and how happy she was uh, because there's definitely um, another family member. And as I said, in those early days, I didn't really understand the concept of this extended family that I was a part of and how important I was because I felt very important to my adoptive family but I didn't feel important to the society outside my family. But in Darwin, Shelley's story of the Aboriginal singer who'd reconnected with her family was spreading. Her music lecturer knew the manager of Yothu Yindi and told him about Shelley. And I'd met the manager of Yothu Yindi at that time and he said that he would, it'd be really nice, Dr M. Yunipingo has invited you to the Gama Festival. Seven years after Dr. M. Yunupingu sang Treaty on mainstream radio, he'd set up the Gama Festival in the Northern Territory, again bringing his Yongu culture to a bigger audience. And the manager asked Shelley, Would you like to come and be a volunteer at the festival? And of course I said yes. And I'm obviously with my dream and my thoughts of Yossi India, it was one of the biggest dreams of my life and it was a bit surreal and I was very, very excited. And by this stage, Shelley had years of experience in management and customer service and she poured her skills into her new role, helping Yongu elders and visiting rock stars while the local kids ran in and out of the office she was also in charge of. And the phone rang, I remember, and I said... Good afternoon, Gama Festival, Shelley speaking, and all the children just looked at me. Must have been about ten of them there. Then they said, Oh, yappa. The word for sister. Yappa. Yappa, you, you're And I went, Oh, okay, that means Aboriginal. Yes, I am. But yappa, if you're you're why do you talk like a white person? <laughs> and I said, Oh, that's a very big story. And I remember saying it was so funny. It was the next year I was working. I was invited back. I was very happy I was invited back and I was very efficient. And I said at uh, the Yoti Indi meeting for the festival, I was invited to come along and I was letting them know that I need a bike. And I said at this meeting that I couldn't work efficient enough and they're looking at me going, I can't work fast enough. And they're looking at this <laughs> Aboriginal woman going, why does she want to work faster? <laughs> I mean, it's hysterical. I look back now and that, and that year that I got my bike, obviously riding so fast around the festival in very hot weather. And I remember one day I thought I'll take the shortcut through the ceremony ground on my bike and I kind of got a bogged. <laughs> All the women were looking at me. They were weaving underneath the bow shed there with all the tourists and all the visitors at Garma. And they're yelling out, yappa, yappa. And I'm looking and I, me, 
you know, pointed to me and they were pointing back going, yes, you. And I went, me? And they're going, yes, you. And I did it three times. And then they motioned for me to come over. And I was incredibly nervous and anxious about why uh, the women wanted to meet me. And they said the same thing, yappa, you're yorongo. And I said, yes, I am. Yappa, you speak yorongo mata. And I, I didn't know what that meant. And I said, I don't know what you're saying. They said, yappa, do you talk language? And I said, no, I don't. And I remember the women saying, well, you're mean, Mark, we, were, we will teach you. I said, oh, that would be so lovely, thank you very much. But I, I'll come back in my lunchtime, in my lunch hour. Like, even though I'm a volunteer, I can't. I'm here to do a job. <laughs> they just looked at me and said, yucca lunch hour. And I didn't know what that meant, <laughs> but I knew it was like a very disrespectful thing to say, I suppose, in my naivety. And I was holding on to my bike because I was so nervous and... One of the women came up and just gently put the bike on the ground and motioned for me to sit down, and that's when I spoke my first Yongumata, which took me five hours to learn five lines. And it was Namariapa, Yominma, Namayalala. You know, what condition are you in, my sister? Yominma, I'm good. And Namayalala means that I'll look you later. I felt very proud that I could say those things. Shelley returned to Gama Festival year after year as a volunteer, supporting musicians, while slowly her own artistic career was flourishing. Every year, the headline acts and visiting musicians got on stage to sing Treaty with Yothu Yindi. And six years after she'd arrived at the festival, Shelley joined them for the first time. It was more than a decade since she'd first heard the song played on the radio. You'd never seen a smile big enough because the time of my first hearing that song, such a long, long way from Yongo society or understanding anything about Aboriginal culture. And there I am in this moment, understanding and being connected in this most intimate setting on a, a built dirt stage. Being on stage was like, wow. Like it was always meant to be uh, my relationship with the Yongo and singing that song. And Shelley remembers looking over and seeing Dr M Yunapingu singing in language. It was the strength and the power that I saw within him. And it's more than just being a rock star. It's just a great, this is my thing, this is my land, this is my language. These are my stories. And I own these stories. And I own this space in a way as in yourself. So that's what I saw. And Shelley was getting up on more stages too. She started touring through the Northern Territory. Word spread 
And soon, remote communities were asking if she could come and do music workshops with their kids. And I remember going to down the road, which wasn't very far, it's only like two or three hundred k's from Darwin, and I went to go and grab, loaded in all the gear, um, set it all up and went to look for a coffee. And all the women were sitting outside on the ground, cross-legged in this, you know, balmy, beautiful weather, crocodile-infested river just at the back there. And the women yelled out, Oi, lonely one. And there was no one else around because all the kids were in the, all the children were in classes at that time. <laughs> and I said, me, I'm not lonely. Look, I don't think anyone ever really explained lonely one to me. I kind of worked that out many years later. Because if you're an Aboriginal woman from the Northern Territory, you rarely would you get in a car by yourself and go and work in a different community from your own clan and do music workshops. It was kind of never been seen before. This bravery, this... Uh, anyone had only ever seen males do it. Or they were non-Indigenous facilitating music workshops if they were women. And so it was very rare. And that's why that concept of lonely one, because if I'm an Aboriginal woman from the Northern Territory, I must be lonely because I'm travelling by myself. And they brought me over to say hello and where am I from and a little bit about my story. And I sat on the ground with them. And by that stage I'd known... It's not all about work. Of course, get the job done, but it also is about taking the time to sit down because they want to know who you are. Who do we know that you know and how are we going to fit you in to our community in that kinship way? So Shelley sat down with the women in the community and the next community after that and the dozen she visited later all over the Northern Territory. Northern Territory, from desert to Arnhem Land, everywhere, sometimes big cities. And slowly, as she worked with women and their children and teachers, she recorded songs that would otherwise be lost and help kids sing their stories in their own languages. Yeah, the women were really onto it. They just knew this, whatever, whatever this woman's doing, it works. Um, the children were happy, so attendance would go up. And we were singing in their language because the children and the women taught me. And now, obviously, I can go in and to a new language group and literally um, sing in that language by the end of the day. Shelley's now spent 20 years singing with communities like Minyeri School in the Roper River region. And since her gospel music days, it's what she's always loved, the sound of a whole lot of voices together. And now she knows what it can lead to. Maybe I was the first one that even asked if these songs could be translated. It was a two-way learning for us. We were learning from each other. And as me growing up with my gorgeous family who adopted me, giving me the opportunities to have a voice. And no one was going to stop that.
I've often been thinking about home lately and where's home for me and what is home. But no, I realised home obviously is within me. It also belongs with my mum and dad who grew me up, my adoptive family, wherever they are, they're home for me. When I'm with my sister, who I grew up with, when I'm with my brother, who I grew up with, when I'm with Mandy, who I didn't grow up with. And every time I walk into any remote community in any of those regions, that's home for me. And it's a, it's a big journey to get to feeling like that, especially as an adopted person, um, to feel home. is a very big journey. That story was reported by Belinda Lopez. And speaking of home, most of the music that you heard in this episode comes from an album called Together We Are Strong. It was recorded by Shelley Morris and senior women from Burulula in the Northern Territory, which was her grandmother's country. Shelley's grandmother was part of the Stolen Generation, and there are only a handful of fluent native speakers of the four languages of the area. So the album is an incredibly special collaboration. Thank you so much to Shelley for letting us share it and for telling her story. Thanks also to ABC Darwin presenter Miranda Tetlow, who first put us on to Shelley. Thanks for listening to Days Like These. We'd love it if you'd follow us on the ABC Listen app or your favourite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating or review. It helps new people find the show. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Kulas. Our lead reporter is Pat Abud. And our season three reporting team includes Sam Wicks, Belinda Lopez, Anthony Scully, Melanie Tate, James Viver, John Chia, Meg Bolton, Taylor Gray and Alicia Sometimes. Our researcher is Tamar Kranswick and our digital team includes Andrew Davies and Michael Delaney. This episode was engineered by Isabella Tropiano and the supervising producer was Daniel Browning. Our brilliant executive producers are Ian Walker and Rachel Fountain. Our theme song is Yeah Nah by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. Extra music by Russell Stapleton. See you next time.